Where all my children are the light Born in the sinning But steady striving to do right My people are warriors All we know is to fight Pray They see God and everything I write here oh, We got it <laughs> We made it happen Determination That's what that is I mean that's the thing How are you doing? I'm doing well considering all things. It's, it's good to see you and finally speak with you. I know, Charles. It's so good to see you. And I just want you to know on behalf of the culture, not that I speak for everyone in the culture, but I'll say for me specifically, I'm like so proud of what you accomplished in the primary. And I am so um, thrilled that going beyond the primary, you're still like hitting the streets and doing what's in our best interest for Breonna Taylor for the culture, fighting against voter suppression. You're doing so much. How are you doing so much? And you're a family man. How are you doing yeah. it all? Yeah, so my, my girls are upstairs, and they're, they're doing a good job of being quiet right now. So ah. I can't guarantee it's going to stay that way. Tell them to um, come join us. We want to hear from them, too. They can tell us all the real stuff oh, that's happening. Oh, they will. They will. That's, that's what they do. Um, <laughs> you know, I first of all, thank you. Because um, like I said, I... I followed you for years. So I, I interned on the Hill during law school. And, you know, I was looking for folks who had been doing the work so I could get examples of how I could develop and ways that I could be a leader. And I learned about you. And what you don't know and what we don't know is how we influence people who we never even really come in contact with. And so thank you for what you do and for shining your light. And, you know, it's as tough as it is for me you know, to show up in the midst of all this stuff that's going on, this is a part of my conviction. You know, I know my why. I know why I'm here. I know the work I have to do. I know the work we got to do. And so, you know, it wasn't just about an election. In fact, it wasn't, it was, it was so much bigger than the election. So yeah. although we didn't win at the ballot box, what we sparked was huge. You know, we got people involved in politics that never did before. And How did you do that, that Charles? Let's, let's stop there because, you know, we have an election in 26 days. Talk about some of the things, some of the unconventional things you did to help some of our scary friends um, yeah. to, get, to get them, um, to get folks motivated to go out to the polls. What are some of the things you did to excite a different base and to grow a base? Yeah, well, you know, so first of all, I'm from the West End of Louisville, so I'm from the hood. Um, you know, one of the poorest zip codes in Kentucky. It's an area that would essentially be the third largest city. So my colleague, Representative Atta Scott, who you spoke with, is my yeah. carpool buddy to the state legislature. And so we're both in the West End. And one of the things that you know growing up around the struggle and living through it is that people don't get involved in the democratic process, one, because we're disenfranchised. Mm -hmm. Two, because we feel like they don't care about us anyway, like it doesn't belong to us. And so I've been very intentional in my leadership to break those barriers down and say, no, nah, this is yours. You own this. And in fact, if we come together, if we rise up, we'll take power and we can change this thing. I almost cussed. And, and I, I know that's OK. So a few a few cuss words may come out from time to time. Um, but we, we did the work of reaching people where they are, you know, and the type of things that campaigns typically don't do. They run this model that focuses on people that typically turn out. And if you're in a marginalized community where people never talk to you, nobody ever shows up until it's just around election time, how can we expect anything to be different? So I put my organizing head on and we essentially did um, a massive relational organizing model all across Kentucky where we had folks organizing their families, churches were, were organizing their congregations, students were organizing their, their classmates and 
although we were up against the most well-funded Senate primary in history, you saw what we did. And it's because yes. we lifted up the voices of people. And that's, that's where the change happens. I love that so much. And when you think about lifting up the voice of the people, one other place where that is happening every single day, whether the television cameras are there or not, um, is really in regard to justice for Breonna Taylor. Talk about some of the things you've seen on the ground that you've organized on the ground, Charles, um, and that you want to see from across the country. You know, um, first, I want to make it clear that when we say Breonna Taylor's name and we will keep saying her name, mm -hmm. we are we are lifting up accountability for the officers who took her life, her, her, her light. They took it from us. But we're also speaking about the structural challenges that we face in our community, knowing that Louisville is one of the most segregated cities in the country. A lot of communities face the same struggles that have even allowed for the environment to exist where somebody's door could be kicked in in their home at night when they're unarmed and they're doing everything we ask for someone to do to be a thriving, contributing citizen. And she was still killed by the issue she paid for to protect and serve her. We got to get to the root issues and ultimately it's structural institutional racism. And so when we're organizing now, we see that we have that resolve. We have a sense of conviction and folks are at Injustice Square right now. This is right outside the mayor's office. Been mm -hmm. showing up every single day, really exemplifying community and, you know, pushing on local and state leadership. So the ban for no knock warrants at the local level, um, that was specifically because of the protests. And yeah. as you talked to Rep. Scott, you know, she was the lead sponsor. I joined on immediately to co-sponsor Brianna's Law at the state level to be accountable to the people. And so we're hoping, and I know this is true, that people that have felt ignored for a long time realize that, okay, if we do push back, if we do speak up, we can make things happen. We can make change happen. And the part that inspires me the most, Angela, is that it ain't just black people. Yeah. You know, it's folks from all walks of life, all parts of Kentucky, places that are like 99% white, are organizing and saying no lives matter until black lives matter. We can do this. Mm -hmm. We just need the leadership to acknowledge it. Let me ask you on Breonna Taylor's law, or Breonna's law specifically, mm -hmm. one of the things that I think especially, um, and it's not all young people, but I think there's kind of this breach in understanding with some younger folks is, it's like protest, but don't engage in the process. But what I think is so important to know, you brought up Rep. Attica Scott, and of course yourself, you're the youngest serving um, uh, black, or black state legislator in I don't know how long in Kentucky. Yeah, 90 um, years. 90 years. Yeah. And when you think about that, if our folks didn't show up for you all, there would be no Brianna's Law. Right. There would be no Brianna's law introduced. And so for a moment, talk about what is all included. We know it's no knock uh, warrants. It would be a ban on no knock warrants. What else is included in there? And talk about some of the other policy priorities you have that represent the interests of the hood you came from and how there would be no movement on that if people didn't show if our people didn't show up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this ultimately is a conversation about political power. Like how yes. we how do we actually change things? We pissed off. We have a lot of reasons to be. Yes. What do we do about it? And, you know, the part that really fires me up every day is when I see people coming in the streets to protest, I see the opportunity to build because they're, they're shaking things up. They're disturbing. They're pushing on the status quo. So let's do something with that. We got to keep protesting. But let's take that passion into the halls of government as well and change the policies and the budgetary allocations. And hell, let's change the people in the office as well. Yes. And, you know, I, I think 
um, the connection is happening. Like people are seeing that, okay, we need to take the power in addition to raising our voices and crying out. And I believe we'll get there. Now, um, Brianna's law to your initial question, um, it deals with no knock warrants, mm -hmm. uh, but it also deals with body cameras and requires them to be on in, in every encounter, which yeah. you would think that that would have just happened. Yes. Uh, again, we know why it doesn't. Um, and provide testing, alcohol, substance abuse testing for officers that are involved um, in violent uh, encounters. Um, that's just scratching the surface. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've, I've worked over the years with a couple organizations. Um, one in particular is called Cities United. Um, and this is a national cohort that looks at violence, gun violence as a public health crisis, which we know that's true. Um, and ultimately, we have to do the structural work um, of reimagining public safety in a true way, uh, which is not more and more money into policing, especially when we know the history of policing and how it goes back to perpetuating the ills of slavery. We yes. know these things. We know what black codes are. So why are we acting like everything's okay? So mm -hmm. part of what we want to do in addition to um, no-knock warrants and um, some of the media term, we need citizen review of police shootings with subpoena power. And again, scratching the surface, we don't even have the resources as a community to engage with law enforcement and push for accountability when our rights are taken away or our lives are taken away. So that's an important change. And I think there's a bipartisan group that's growing that will allow us to do that at the state level. Mm -hmm. um, but then we also need to, again, do some of that deeper rooted work. Um, you know, qualified immunity. We know that needs to go. We know that these um actions of brutality, chokeholds. We know these things need to go. That's yes. like common sense to me. Yes. That, to me, I don't even really want to dwell on that part because, yes, we got to do that. Um, one of the things that I mentioned when folks asked me this question, two, two pieces of legislation to just scratch the surface. Um, disproportionate impact assessments for every piece of legislation as it relates to Black people in particular. Yes. So every bill that's passed, every decision that's made, we need to be assessing them to determine the impact on the black community. So that do you, do you introduce an amendment to every bill that calls for that? Or is this like bigger picture? You're like, one day we need to get there. Yeah. So so we've actually been filing this bill at the state level uh, for a couple of years. That would okay. essentially when every bill goes forward and, and it possibly has an economic impact, you have to have a fiscal note with it as well. So you've got to calculate what is it going to cost these cities if we implement right. this law? We should do the same thing in terms of disproportionate impact on the black community. Yes. So we're, we're not just allowing these blind spots to happen um, in the judicial system, but across the board. And uh, I've been a lead sponsor for legalization of cannabis, um, automatic expungement. Um, you know, I also want to see us implement universal basic income. Uh, I've been working to get a pilot off the ground. Like we, we got to see this holistically. And so you know, I, I think the chance here is is for us to do that type of work because Brianna, Brianna shined a light that a lot yeah. of people can't look away from now. Um, I'm putting in here because uh, folks are asking um, what's going on in here. So I'm putting your name. Rosario, Rosario Dawson's in here. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, wow. I'm, um, I'm not even going to blush, though. I'm, I'm good. Not going to blush. No. Well, the good thing is, we know she got her back. She's definitely in alignment here. So I'm glad she's sharing space space with us. And thank you to everybody who shared space with us today. Um, 
Charles, I have to ask you this because this has come up a lot. Um, my good friend and big brother, Ben Crump, um, of course, is representing uh, Brianna's family as co-counsel. Yeah. One of the things that has been troubling me about this case, like there are moments where it just keeps me up, is this idea that the no-knock warrant stem from um, a, basically a push for gentrification. How right. real is that? And how much yeah. do we need to be talking about this, not just in Louisville, but in communities all over the country? Yeah, you know, the home that they they put as a justification to even pursue a warrant that then led them to be kicking Brianna's door in is a couple blocks from my house. Ooh. And... You know, in the Russell neighborhood, um, which is right just so there's a 9th Street divide in Louisville. This is the road that essentially says, all right, if you go west of 9th Street, you where all the black people are and you where all the resources are not. And because it is so close to downtown, it's so close to the river, it's close to the airport. This is prime real estate that we don't own. Mm-hmm. And the bigger conversation that we're seeing, which is why, again, what happened to Brianna as much as I hate that she's gone, um, I see the power that she's leading right now because this issue of gentrification speaks to criminalizing poverty. Yes. And so we're able to force people to look at how we address poverty and inequity across the board. And so you have this unit of law enforcement that is targeting these problem areas, as they call them, where there's Low, high levels of poverty, high levels of unemployment, um, folks that can't find jobs otherwise. And so there's likely to be uh, drug sales and, and, and uh, things happening there. And so instead of engaging these communities to help them heal and provide pathways to opportunity, let's just saturate them with law enforcement. Let's criminalize them and move them away so that others can come in, develop and own this land. In a lot of senses, that happens all over the country. Yeah. And and we don't really think about it when we see instances of my cousin TJ, who was really good friends with Brianna, was murdered on Easter Sunday uh, in 2016. And I met the family of, of the guy who killed him. And when you think about what goes through the trauma that people go through, the sense of hopelessness and lack of opportunity and health issues, all these things that happen before someone would pull the trigger and take the life of somebody. And we only respond after the pain has led to this killing, mm-hmm. we're missing the opportunity to really transform things. Mm-hmm. And so I'm glad this conversation is being put to the forefront. And, um, you know, I'm just trying to do my part to help it continue. So there's got to be somebody in this this room. Uh, uh, th- I sound so old. I'm talking about AOL chat rooms. <laughs> Charles, pray for me, Jesus. This IG Live. Um that has to be looking at you like, oh, my God, he sounds like, you know, a super West Coast or East Coast liberal. And this dude is in Kentucky. Yeah. Like, how, how that work? Talk about yeah. um, the politics of um, protecting those who are the least of these or the folks among us who have the least resources and how. They might look kind of progressive. Why, why are those your politics, Charles? Yeah. Well, first of all, we out here. And, and I'm the thing I'm most excited about in my run for Senate and my roles as legislator, the fact I'm talking to you, is that I get to tell a story about Kentucky that a lot of people don't know about. Because mm-hmm. we want progress in Kentucky, all yeah. over Kentucky. Now, what we've been is exploited, 
disenfranchised, mm-hmm. ignored, thrown off the cliff. And for generations of after of generations of that, you have depressed communities across the board that um, don't see any way for things to change. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I learned, and, and so I've worked in all levels of government. I was a director of Fish and Wildlife. Um, so I was one of like three black people in the department that was around 700 employees. Wait, I was, I Charles, I have to tell you this because my youngest, my youngest cousin on my dad's side, Ben, is in here yelling from the hood to the holler. Yeah. So first we're going to have to talk about that next because I didn't even know you knew about that, Ben. Okay, we're yeah. going to go to that next. But the fact that he yelled it literally in all caps in here, I had to shout him out. Love you, Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, my brother. Yeah, yeah, we, we definitely going to talk about it. Um, yeah. But you know, one of the things that I've realized working across Kentucky is that we have so much in common. And and one commonality we have is poverty. And when you talk about the struggle in a real way and sort of put the politics aside mm-hmm. and we and we start to see that, wait a minute, we fight in a lot of the same battles. So why don't we fight together then? And if we fight together, we can win. We can change things. Mm-hmm. It, it requires the courage to show up in places where we haven't gone and I knew because of my faith, you know, both my parents are ministers and my mom always told me, you, you're more than a conqueror. You know, if you have a little bit of faith, size of mustard seed, you can move mountains. Mm. We're not just supposed to go through the struggles. We can move them out of the way. And so I took that faith and I was like, okay, I'm going to do what people say don't do. A lot of folks try to discourage me from running. First of all, they're like, well, the big money has already decided, so there won't be a primary. And then the message, even from folks that support me and are proud of me and work with me in the state house. We're like, well, Charles, you're black. How are you going to win across Kentucky? How are you going to get people to support you when there are places in Kentucky where we know black people ain't supposed to go? Man. I went to those places. That's how we did it. I went. And I showed up as Charles from the West End, CJ, that's my nickname. And I talked to them just like I'm talking to you. But I met them. And I let them know they're my family. Mm-hmm. And that I love them. And I'm going to fight for them because that's what family does. I'm going to tell you the truth, too, because that's what family does, too. Mm-hmm. And when we did that, something special started happening. We started building relationships. Wow. Yeah. And so we were able to talk about a Green New Deal in Appalachia, in cold country, Medicare for all, reparations. Like we could have these conversations in rooms where it's a whole lot of white folks in, in the hills. Because when you speak. What to was that conversation like? Talking yes. about reparations with poor white folks. What happened? Yeah. So first of all, this is the reason why I'm working on the book because I got I got the story to tell. Like, I got I got some stories. You got yeah. to buy that I book. Mean, it was it was really surreal, um, and I I've, I feel like my ancestors sort of pushing on me when I get in those spaces where okay I'm gonna speak some truths and I don't know how people are gonna take it, but I love them. I'm gonna tell them the truth though. And when you talk about reparations from the standpoint of an entire population of people that have been robbed. And exploited. Yeah. Their value, their humanity was taken away for profit. And they've been left behind and abandoned. And we just want justice. We just want the chance to get our footing of what was ours that has been taken away and now being perpetuated by all of these laws. When you go to places like in eastern Kentucky, where the coal industry has built an entire economy off of exploiting them. Mm-hmm. And then left them and they uh, are abandoned and now they're suffering from poverty that's generational. When you tell the story, they start to see it like, oh, I know what that feels like in a way. I get what that means. And then when you have to tell the conversation that investing in the black community, 
is not at the expense of everyone else. It is to the yes. benefit of everyone else. If we provide justice for the black community, we're providing justice for everybody. And I mean, that's how you talk about all issues because we're, we're all connected. Um, we just got to have the courage to, to say it with a straight face and not back down from it. And and people are ready to receive it. We just got to give them a chance. Do you, what do you think is missing um, from the current discourse in the presidential election? Have you been talking to the Biden campaign at all about being a surrogate? You're the type of honest mm-hmm. truth serum that the campaign needs. I know you, there are some policy differences because you're talking about New Green Deal. They're not quite there. Um, UBI, they have some policies that are in alignment with that. But what's that conversation like? Yeah, I, I have had those conversations. And, you know, I think it would I think it would be a good opportunity not to pitch for myself, but for folks that have my lens and yeah. are connected to the struggle in a very uh, personal way that can speak to people that don't get spoken to. I, I do believe that that is the part that is still not being met. Mm-hmm. And... I, my hope is that it won't stop us from defeating Trump because he is just that terrible. He got to go, man. He got, he, I mean, for us to even really have the conversation about what's next, he got to go. So, but are, same, so are you are you a surrogate? Are you? Do we need to sign you up? I, I'm, not, I'm not a surrogate yet. No, I, I'm not a surrogate. Um, but are I, you I'm, opposed to it? I'm, I'm not opposed to it. As long as it's understood that I'm going to show up the way I always do. Yeah, and, you're like, you know, I'm going to be myself. I'm going to be yeah. me. Yeah, I'm not man, Charles, they they need you. I can tell you for sure. Like, no, seeing like the data on black men and like how much money Donald Trump is investing in sending disinformation to black men, especially on Kamala. Like, we need brothers out there. One protecting yeah. this sister who is killing it and is about to like represent us so amazingly in these judiciary hearings. You know, like we need to have her back. So yeah. I hope they reach yeah. out. I'm I'm gonna, make, I'm gonna send some texts after this because I'm like, yup, y'all ain't got Charles. But- yeah, well, you, yeah, do your do your thing. I, I'm I'm here and I'm ready and we're building. You know, we're not gonna wait for that. We're doing the work. No, you're gonna keep yeah. moving no matter what. And I'm yeah. grateful. From the hood to the holler, since Ben yes. came in yelling about it, tell me yeah. about from the hood to the holler and what you're doing and what's next and how people can support that. So, so of course I'm from the hood. Yeah. And. You know, I, I talk about my life experiences and rationing insulin. I'm a type 1 diabetic. I've had to ration my insulin and, you know, seeing my mom go without eating just so I could eat and all of these things that have shaped how I see the world um, and feeling invisible and feeling like, you know, we're just trying to survive. And I don't know if we will be able to make it to next week. That same sentiment is shared in communities all over the country. Mm-hmm. And when we're in silos, we don't necessarily see it. But when I was going across Kentucky and I'm going into parts that are rural in the hollers and essentially a holler for people that don't know is pretty much the hood in Appalachia. It's like the hood for white. Child, I didn't know that. I didn't yeah. know what from the hood to the holler yeah. was. I was like, somebody told Charles that was cute. So I'm going to ask you yeah. what that is. I'm glad you told me because I ain't been to Appalachia. I didn't it's, know. <laughs> it's pretty much the hood for white folks. Cause, so it's a small oh. with, with like housing that's around like a water source. And it's typically isolated. There's, they, uh, they essentially deal with very limited resources. Um, and so they're like small neighborhoods that you see in, in the hood where folks sort of lean on each other to survive. Jobs aren't there. You know, there's issues of homelessness. I mean, so many of the same things. Mm. And to be honest with you, where I live in the West End of Louisville, which Louisville is the biggest city in Kentucky, has much more in common with Appalachia than it does the rest of Louisville. So 
we wanted to tell that story. And so the hood to the holler, as I said, both my parents are ministers. It's like a call and response. You know, I'm going all over Kentucky, saying from the hood to the, and they yelling holler. And it was really a rallying cry. It wow. was the forgotten people saying that we're not going to be ignored anymore, that we're coming together as family to fight for the real issues and not mm-hmm. play politics. And in a lot of ways, Angela, it's a new Southern strategy. It's like I a way love we flip, that. We flip politics on this weird. Wait, so have you talked to Reverend Barber about this? I've I've had several conversations with um, his his team. Actually, so when he was at the Capitol in Kentucky, um, and there was a big story about they wouldn't let us come in to pray. I was I was beside him for that, and mm-hmm. this aligns so much with the message that the Poor People's Campaign is exactly. lifting because it's true, it's true, and you know we're coming from not this, not a deficit framing of you know do right by us, mm-hmm. treat us right, but from a power framing of we're going to take it. We're going to take yeah. it together. And so, you know, that animated the campaign. That's why you saw people that voted for Trump in 16 that were organizing for my campaign. When I'm talking about a Green New Deal, Medicare for all, and universal basic income and free wow. power. You know, and like I said, although we didn't win at the ballot box, that was the victory. We got people that finally saw that, okay, if, if I step up, if I take a chance, it can mean something, regardless of what the party is. And so... The organization is a way to continue that work. Um, we're building a new wave of leadership so that we can create that new Southern strategy because I can't be by myself. And so we're essentially training folks to be relational organizers to activate their collective power, training folks to be citizen lobbyists so that we can take our passion from the streets to the halls of government, helping to create curriculum uh, for folks to run for office, boards and commissions. I'm working on that now uh, to create a fellowship as well. And the big thing we did which you probably didn't see because you're all over the world. Uh, we had a big virtual uh, music festival uh, with a lot of national recording artists. And we were talking about disenfranchisement. So that's the big focus that we're leaning into of breaking down barriers to democracy. So if you have a voice to begin with, you can come to the table. And a lot of people have been silenced. So we've been registering voters, particularly formerly incarcerated individuals who lost their rights in Kentucky because there was a permanent ban as I was the lead sponsor for that bill to restore voting rights and Governor Bashir signed that executive order. So we got 170,000 Kentuckians that got the right to vote. Some of them who had never voted before. One was my uncle, lost his rights to vote over 30 years ago. So we've been focusing on them and we've been crushing it. We reached out to 300,000 Kentuckians over the last month, over the last weekend, not the last month, last weekend. Um, and so we're doing the work to build the power base, to activate people, to do the stuff that the parties aren't doing. Um, and, and this is ultimately how you take power and change the political landscape. When you talk about relational organizing for people who are um, tuned into this, what does it look like for them when they leave this yeah. live, Charles, to go out and become relational organizers and citizen lobbyists? What are things they can do right when they leave? So so it's really simple. Um, one, we all have to realize how powerful we are and all the things we have at our disposal, um, even when we are oppressed and blocked out. We got a lot of power. One thing that you can do, everybody's watching, find 10 people out of your friends list, um, your phone list, and reach out to them. If there's an issue that is important to you, like no-knock warrants, ask them do they know about it. Mm-hmm. Ask them how they feel about it. 
tell, and so in Kentucky, for instance, we're telling folks, if you tell these 10 people this bill is going to Frankfurt, and if we work together and go to the Judiciary Committee, we can lobby to get this passed. If you start having those conversations, just start doing it. And even if it's uncomfortable, do it anyway and let people have their space. The more we do that, we create a network. Now Charles, you know what? Direction. They don't even have to start a new text thread. Some of them have text threads right now on the Miami Heat versus the L.A. Lakers. Yep. Change the subject real quick. Some of them got um, fantasy football league text threads where they're talking that shit. Yeah. Use that text thread, right? Like they can, they don't even yeah. have to start new text threads. Yeah, and it ain't hard to do at all, you know. And, and right now we're getting ready for the election. Of course, people are already voting; they're able to vote early. Charles, Thank give you. me something to tell my girls. I have, we have a Black Queens text thread. What can I tell them? Tell me something real quick. I'm gonna lead by example. What can I tell them? What should I tell them? Oh, in terms of organizing, mm -hmm. um, tell them to text five people right now. Okay. To make sure that they you have guys, it. I'm on an IG live right now with state rep Charles Booker, who was going to be Amy McGrath in the primary, but he is a bigger winner and we're still going. So we are organizing right now on this IG live. And I'm yes. here to tell you to text five people about what, Charles? Text five people, ask them, do they have a plan to vote? Ask them if they have a plan to vote. Latasha, I know you got 50,000 of them, but just roll with me, yeah. sis. Whatever. They have a plan to vote. If they don't, they can go to vote.org. And if you don't have a plan, if your five people don't have a plan, they can go to vote.org and register or check their status and That's early right. vote. But don't mail that ballot back and drop it off. How about That's that? That's right. Okay, y'all, bye. And all, and all you got to do, once once they do that, check in with them. Just check yes. in with them once a week. Have you done it? Do you have what you need? Can I help you? And if we just keep doing stuff like that, mm -hmm. we are building the network because now we have folks we can activate on various issues. I have it's to be honest. My point of privilege is everybody on here been talking about voting. That's all we talk about. But yeah. I can tell you from an accountability standpoint, Charles, because this is what leadership is. You're a leader. So you call me up and out. And my, you're calling me up and out. I haven't done that with five people. So I'm going around telling everybody else to do that. I need to do that with my five people. I'm a Washington State resident. That's where I still vote. I will tell five people at home, like... We got mail-in ballots. What's up? What you voting for? Do you need to talk mm -hmm. through it? Did you make sure you're going to get your ballot? Did your ballot come? So I can do that. I'm going to be accountable to that. I'm going to put it on a on an IG post that I did my homework. Yep. Yep. It's for, and, and I'm here to help, too. HoodToTheHolland.org. Um, we're helping all over the country. I like I told that. you, we're working on some tools that will help folks organize it. We'll be sharing in about a week. Actually, awesome. So, we get, you guys get breaking news on here. Yeah, I'm, I'm breaking the holidays coming out with here. We, we create a national tool that'll make it easier for folks to interface with local and state government on issues that have been rising up out of protests. So we, we want to make it very simple for folks to realize once you've marched, go do these things and then get yes. back to marching. But go do these things. Right. Yeah. Let me let me ask you this last thing. I know you have to go, and I know the girls didn't even come join us. I thought I was gonna see them. Yeah, Press is literally on the couch right here. Uh-oh. Hey you guys. Oh, you gonna you gonna front me now? Uh, <laughs> she's like, I'm not coming over there. Oh look, she said she don't want to mess me up. You don't mess Aww. me up. This is one of my bosses. Oh, hi, pretty. You say hi to Angela. Hi. How are you doing? Good. You are so pretty. You ready to lead? You ready to tell your dad what to do? Yeah. 
You know, so All right. Cloud. You know? <laughs> oh, she's being shy. Oh, that's okay. You can be shy. Give him a hug. He needs all that love. Um, Charles, let me ask you this. What is the greatest lesson you learned in the primary um, opposite of Amy McGrath? What's something that you learned that, you know, folks can take from here going forward and, you know, knowing that you got to get up the next day and, and keep rolling? Mm -hmm. you've, you've, it feels like you're doing even more since then. So talk about one of the greatest lessons learned. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it hasn't stopped for me and I'm humbled by that you know the the lesson that I learned it was really an affirmation that um when you shine your light when you show up like in your authentic self mm -hmm. um that you can have a profound impact and just never let any room or any people that you're around force you to feel like you have to dim your light or that you have to comport to be something else mm -hmm. I was able to be CJ from the West End you know on food stamps or free lunch you know, homeless, then, you know, my family lose everything, being murdered year after year. I was able to put that out there. And when I did, it never came back void. Mm. And so if we all can feel that sense of, you know what, I'm going to shine my lights and I'm going to do my part to help change the narrative, um, you can do it. And it's not easy. But if you know your why, and this is one of mine, like, yeah, it's, it's so worth it. Yeah. You know, I, I really do. This is my last thing for real this time. Um, Mitch McConnell is trying to force a Supreme Court nomination. Um, if you were running against him right now, um, what's something that you would tell voters um, and people all over the country who know that Mitch McConnell needs to be stopped, but they don't know where to start? You know, what I've been telling people and trying to make it clear that what he's doing right now is very specifically intended on making sure we never have a democracy. Yeah. Because when a democracy actually means something, people like him don't exist. Mm. And so he's going to stack the courts. He's going to manipulate the process. He's going to stop the gears of government from working. He's going to block every piece of progress we need to live so that he can get power. And he's going to seize this moment when we lost a giant and we're in the process of the election, he's going to seize this moment to further mass power for himself. And the crazy thing about it is he doesn't care about any of these policies. The issue of, of abortion rights and uh, agency over women's body, he doesn't care. He's using these wedges because he knows if he can keep people divided, he can stay in power. And if we want to have a future, if we're trying to survive, we got to get rid of him. It really is that simple. Wow. Charles Booker, state rep from Kentucky, activist, organizer, daddy extraordinaire, family man himself. <laughs> and he tells us what from the hood to the holla. All right. Yeah. That's it. Thank you so much, Charles. I really appreciate it. You all have a wonderful evening. I'm so grateful to spend time with you and to learn from you today. I really appreciate it. The honor was all mine. Thank you, Queen. Thank you, friend. Bye-bye. Uh, oh, you said it. Oh, I missed her. She said it and I missed her. Thank you, y'all. This is a special edition of On One with Angela Rye. We heard from the awesome Charles Booker. Make sure you all go and check your voter status if you're already registered. If you're not registered, register right, right away. 
We got an election to win, a democracy to save. So much is at stake. Thank you all for tuning in. For all my children that are like born in the sinning, but steady striving to do right. My people are warriors. All we know is to fight. Praying they see God in everything I write here.